Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah 31, verses 1 to 9. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. This is the word of the Lord. Well, our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 5, and I invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to turn to Romans chapter 5 with me as we consider these verses. They're also projected, projected on the screens uh, behind me. Uh, reading Romans chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank You for the opportunity to be drawn by You to be gathered around Your Word this morning, which is eternal and whose promises are true. And we thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, granting your mercy that it may be preached faithfully, that we may experience it as preached by Christ himself into our hearts, and that learning it we may preach it to ourselves and our own lives, and that we may also in turn preach it to one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The sermon series that we're in is called Abundant Life in Christ, Abundant Life in Christ. And today we're looking at these verses, three to five, hope in God. Edward Reynolds was a Puritan. Uh, he was born in 1599, 
He lived in England and ended up as the warden or the master of Merton College in Oxford. And in fact, if you go there today, there's a very large painting of Edward Reynolds, a pretty serious-looking guy. Uh, he was a theologian. He was an Anglican priest, eventually uh, left the Anglican church and went into the Presbyterian church in England uh, for theological reasons. And he also was, uh, if you heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith, he was involved in that. He was one of the Westminster divines in 1644. He sat there in the, in the group. He became dean of Christ's church uh, in Oxford and published and was a very, very kind of active, well-known person. He preached many times in front of the parliament in Britain uh, on different topics that were relevant for the day. And he turned out to be quite a large figure in uh, the history of the church in England. Now, uh, as towards the end of his life, uh, what they do over there at some of those colleges is they paint a very large picture of you so that you can be kind of remembered for, you know, the rest of, well, today, here I am mentioning him now, Edward Reynolds. And he was asked by his, the person who painted his picture, his big portrait, uh, how do you want yourself to be portrayed in this big painting? And uh, he said, well, I want to be surrounded by books, uh, and then the painter asked him, well, what kind of books do you want to be surrounded in? He said, uh, well, Bibles. He said, well, any particular book of the Bible? And he said, Romans. And the painter said, uh, well, any particular part of Romans? And guess what chapter he said? Romans chapter 5. He said that. And you can go to Oxford, to, uh, Merton College in Oxford, and you can see this big painting of this guy, and it's an open Bible in his finger, laying on Romans chapter 5. And that's kind of like what we're doing together in this sermon series, Abundant Life in Christ. We are, in a way, pointing our fingers and leaving them there a little bit on Romans chapter 5. And we know that Romans is kind of thick material. It's not really material that you breeze through quite easily. Uh, it's kind of Paul's uh, wonderful theological writing on life in Jesus. There's so many theological themes in it. You know, when I go on, on holidays in the summer, I will pick up like, a, like the lightest possible fiction novel, maybe like John Grisham, and I'll just flick through it. And if you miss like five, six pages, you're like right back there again. There's no problem. Uh, can't really do that with Romans. It's like a thick, thick book. And so what I've done for my own benefit this morning is try to summarize the entire uh, sermon and the, these verses three to five into one sentence uh, that we can just walk through point by point. So here is, I think, what we're trying to walk through this morning from Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, about abundant life in Christ as a result of God's justification in Christ through faith. Here's the one sentence. We approach the pressures of life confidently because we see that God uses them productively according to a repeated pattern whereby we know an undisappointable hope communicated in the Father's love. That's a long sentence, isn't it? Maybe that's, maybe that's more complicated than the actual. As a result of God's justification in Christ through faith, these verses, we approach the pressures of life confidently because we see that God uses them productively according to a repeated pattern whereby we know an undisputable hope communicated in the Father's love. You say, Pastor Aaron, we're going to be here till after lunch. The ice cream is going to be melted by the time we get. We're going to roll right through this. Turn, if you would, to verse 3. We'll just jump right into this. We see in verse 3 that Paul writes, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not only so, 
More than that, he's saying, hey, I got more to say. What's Paul saying here? Well, the verses, remember, just before this, verses 1 and 2 in Romans are the ones he's referring to. Not only so. What is that? Well, we learned last week that um, there is this, without summarizing, but the whole thing, there is this point in the human life where the Spirit makes our hearts inclined to the promises of Christ. And by the power and work of the Spirit, our, we find our hearts trusting for our salvation and for all of our future and for all of the regrets, problems, sins in our lives. We find our hearts trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and for the hope of the last day. And in that moment, we learned that we are, we are, we are justified. We are made right with God. Uh, that that is a thing that happens in the twinkling of an eye, right? And it, it happens. We're, we're, it's why Jesus talks about uh, being born again, right? We, it happens. We are, those promises, the righteousness of Christ is applied to our hearts and, 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 and we, we, are, we are justified before the living God. The results, Paul says, from those verses last week leading up to this verse 3, the very, not only so, is that we have peace with God, no longer hostility with God in our hearts. We have access to grace. Uh, that's where we stand and that we have hope, the hope of glory. And Paul is saying, well, there's more I want to say. Not only is it that we are people who hated God's glory, that we fell short of God's glory as a people, that we were unable to live up to God's glory, God's glory, and that God gives us the hope of glory, that is God tells us and makes it possible for us to know, experience, and trust in that which we are actually destined for, which is the glory of God in all of His goodness and the return of Jesus and all of His power when all things will be, will be made right. Paul is saying there's more than that that I want to tell you about this outworking of justification in your life. There's more than the hope of glory. What is that more? We say this is going to be good. This is going to be really good, Paul. More than that. It's hard to beat those three things. What are you going to add to this? Uh, Paul says, well, there's more. What does he say? First point. We rejoice in our sufferings. Really, Paul? Have you written that correctly? Is that what you're getting at? That's the more that you're interested in telling us here that we also rejoice in our sufferings? We rejoice in our trials. We rejoice in our tribulations. Uh, literally, that word uh, try suffering is the word in, in Greek, flipsis, which means pressures, which means the pressures of life. It's a word that is used with uh, grapes when grapes are, are, are pressurized in order to receive the wine from them, that they're squeezed together. Not from one side, so if you get squeezed from one side, you can kind of take off and run that way. Flipsis or pressures is you're squeezed from both sides, and you feel like there's not really a way out of this thing. And in the New Testament, this word sufferings or pressures or trials in Mark 13 and in Revelation 7, in John 16, in this world you will have trouble it's often connected to uh, kind of a, a living out of our Christian lives in this time, a result of the living out of our Christian lives in this time. You will have pressure. You will have trial. 
you will have trouble. So this is not trouble, you know, fixing something or trouble solving a puzzle or something. This is a certain kind of, of trouble, a suffering. It's suffering because we are trying to live out faithfully the Christian life in our time. What is that? There's a definition. Someone gave it. I didn't write down who it was, but there's a definition someone gave of these pressures. Anything that threatens your trust in the power and goodness of God. Today, are you feeling that there is something that's threatening your trust in your life, in the power or the goodness of God, that is a pressure, a trial that we, that you may be experiencing. Paul says, how is it that the Christian is invited because of what God has done for us in Christ? How is it the Christian is invited to live in those situations? What's our attitude? What's our approach? What's our, what, 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 how do we face these things? Well, he says, look, it's with rejoicing. Now, is Paul being a masochist? Is Paul saying, hey, you got to en- really enjoy that difficult, hard thing? That's ha- no, Paul's not saying that. Paul's, Paul's not saying that, that we ought to rejoice in that thing itself. The word for rejoice is the word boast, exalt, glory in. That is the Christian who has been justified and is trusting in all the promises of God Uh, who has received the righteousness of Christ, their approach to trials is that they want to boast in them in the sense that God, they know that God is going to use them for His purposes in their lives. It is almost a boasting of saying, look at this thing in my life here, and I want you to look also at what God is able to do to do, that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What's your approach to trials today? What's your approach to suffering today? We see in the Bible so many. We see complaint. We see people feeling sorry for themselves. We see people blaming each other, one around the other. We see ourselves, sometimes we see people almost loving their trial more than anything else, like nurturing it, like it's becoming part of my identity. As hard and difficult as it is, Paul wants to give us a promise. He wants to give us a truth. He wants to give us a joyful place in which to step and to land and to remember and to revel in a time of boasting in what God can do. So how, is it, how does that play out in these verses? Why is it that we can boast? Why is it that we can rejoice in these pressures? Well, the first thing is, Paul tells us, it's because we see that God uses pressures in our lives as we try to live out faithfully as Christians in the world, our workplaces, our families, wherever it may be, that Paul, that, that we, we know something, we see something. We know that suffering, as God uses it in our lives, is in fact productive. And Paul wants us to see that. We're meant to actually know that. We rejoice, he says, we boast, because we know that suffering produces. 
because we know that suffering leads somewhere, because we know that God takes the hard things, the pressurized things, uh, to, to do something productive for His goodness and His glory, uh, like a potter shaping clay or pressing down on clay right into some more beautiful form that it's already in. Paul is on the road to Damascus. He gets blinded, right? It's difficult, and, and, and his life changes changes because of this, this pressure that he, he goes through. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish preacher, says, uses this phrase, he says, there is what God uses is the friction of suffering in our lives, the friction of suffering, that there is that, that rub that happens when we're under pressure, when, when we're being squished down, we have nowhere else to go. There is this, 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 this friction that we experience that God uses in some way that for a result that wouldn't come any other way in our lives. And that's, the, that's what we have to know. We have to realize that. Something we have to just know is true. And thirdly, this productive suffering, this productive use of pressures in our lives happens, Paul teaches, according to a pattern, according to a repeated pattern uh, that, he, that he wants us to know and digest and, and, and really go, go, go deep with and understand. And the pattern is this. It's like a, it's like a chain reaction. I was trying to remember all the science experiments I did in high school. I can't remember any one of them, but I remember some, something about water bubbling, expanding, and lids blowing off things and uh, all that stuff. But there's some kind of chain reaction, a spiritual chain reaction here that is really kind of a few steps down the road, right, as it were, of our spiritual lives. We, we, we learn this as we go and we grow. And what is that chain reaction? What is that thing that happens well, the chain reaction is this, that um, God, we, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance is the first thing, then there's character, and then there's hope. The chain reaction is perseverance, character, hope. All right, say it with me. Perseverance, character, hope. That's the cycle of growth that God uses in the Christian life. And maybe you are just here for the first time this morning, and you're saying, this is outrageous. God should make my life easier. I thought being Christianity was God loving us and making my life simpler and easier to walk through. Well, we don't want you to have the wrong idea about God's goodness, and we'll talk about God's love a little bit later in the next verse, so don't, don't forget that. But this is kind of the nuts and bolts of discipleship, right? It's the nuts and bolts of if you have surrendered your life to Christ, this is the nuts and bolts of how God works in your life and my life. So don't be put off, just stay with me here for a little bit if this is new for you. So glad you're here. Perseverance is the first thing. What is that? That is that we find situations in which we're able to take a punch, right? We have a setback and we're able to continue. There's a pressure or a suffering or a trial where we need to find in some way by God's goodness toughness or grit, or stick to it with in our lives. Now, the parable and life, you know, hits us, and we often don't want to persevere. We often want to give up. We often want to run the other way. We often want to say, it's all over. That's it. 
And we see in the parable of the sower that Jesus teaches this much in the Gospels, that there are some seeds that fall on, um, that look all good, that we might turn to Christ and, 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 and be interested in Him. And we see that some seeds uh, are also, the seeds of faith are scattered. Some of them, though, will go on ground that is, is rocky, and as soon as the sun comes out and there's not enough water and the trials of life come up, that seed is choked. That seed is, is gone, that, that that person in a way gives up. And if that is you this morning, can I encourage you that God is still for you, that do not be hard on yourself if you've experienced a time where you have given up. Because the glory and goodness of that teaching is that there are that God will work in us according to his will, seed that finds good soil and that flourishes and grows. So don't be discouraged this morning if there's situations that come to mind now, oh, I've given up. No. In the end, God is still at work in your life and wants to draw you into a, a deeper relationship with him. Do not beat yourself up. I don't think God does. But perseverance is that we learn to stick with it. Secondly, then, that leads to character. What's character? Character is a sense of being tested, of being proven. So we see this in uh, Timothy chapter 2. He's one whose record is proven. We see in James 1 and verse 2, uh, approved for the trials of life. We see in 1 Peter 1 and verse 7 that, uh, that we may find our, our faith is proven genuine. So character has this sense of testedness in it. That is, we've gone through a thing, and we, we, we know that there is a, we, we know kind of what's going to happen in a way, right? We've built this character. We've seen, we've been there before. We, we, we know something. We've been tested. It's kind of like, um, you know, I don't know, like a, like, like a veteran versus a new recruit. Like, the veteran has character. Why? Because they've been tested. They, they've seen how this thing all plays out. They've seen, in a way, what God can do. And that leads to character. Perseverance, able to, you find we have to push forward and continue. We do that. That leads to character. We do that time and time again. We see that pushing forward, perseverance, time and time again. And we lead to character, testedness, it's provenness. And that then finally leads in the human heart and in your life and in my life, it leads to Hope, right? It leads to a sense of trust. It leads to a sense of God can do this. I've seen it before. Uh, I've gone through this already. God has grown me in this already. And we see in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, uh, an amazing opening to the letter of uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. I'll race the AV guys to read this. You can pop it up there if you have it. Um, but 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, you can turn over to that. Uh, Paul actually is uh, talking to the, the church in Corinth. He's saying, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened, this trial that Paul went through, this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Wow. Paul has been through some stuff. And he is getting now this deep sense that he was made for glory, that God is able to accomplish in his life what God wants to accomplish. There is not a need for despair, but that he is made for the hope of the glory of God. 
that his life is, he's going to get through this thing. There's going to be an end. There will be a light at the end of that tunnel because of the goodness of God. And I think we, we forget sometimes, you know, that the Christian life is a battle, right? It is a battle in many, many respects that we're, 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 we're pushing through, we're going through, we're always in some ways, we're often in some ways under these pressures that are meant to lead us where? Lead us to hope. Joni Erickson Tata, you might know her story so well. She's written so many books. She was a teenager and jumped into a pool and uh, became paralyzed, couldn't move her, her legs anymore. And her whole life got up, turned upside down, and she did not know what kind of future she was going to have. And she struggled with this her whole life, and she's written all kinds of amazing books about it. And she learned as her life was just, oh, this is a, just a situation in her life. Whatever suffering and sorrow currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. She, in her own life, has experienced and seen the hope that we have in Christ. Now, there's something, a sidebar to this. There's like a tangent to this that I don't want to go too far down, lose my way. That's why I have that sentence, so I don't lose my way too bad on this. But there's a tangent you can go down to this. Maybe like another key is that I think there's, there, there's something we can see in the Bible, too, about somehow trials do teach us in a way like a litmus test as to where our hearts are, right? So if we are finding ourselves living in a place of, of sin, of darkness, of maybe falling away from God, of, of not pursuing a holy life, then when that trial and pressure comes, oftentimes we will expand into that kind of area, right, of unholiness or ungodliness because of that pressure. Whereas if we find ourselves on the journey where we are constantly looking to God by the power of the Spirit, um, reading the Bible, praying in a small group with other people that you can pray with and meet with and be accountable to, and you find that, you know, your heart is always, and there's lots of small groups starting up, by the way, soon, so get into, make sure if you're not actively in one, I encourage you to get actively into one. Uh, but if you find that your hearts are looking to Christ, then, then when a trial comes or a pressure comes, that often exposes in our own hearts, wow, you know, our prayer life will expand. Uh, it'll kind of show us where we are and give us a little uh, check in that way. So what do we have? Where are we? Well, where's my big long sentence? Uh, here we are. As a result of God's justification in Christ through faith, we approach the pressures of life confidently. Because we see that God uses them productively according to a repeated pattern. What's the pattern? Can we say it again? Is that going to bug you? Let's say it. Perse with perseverance, character, hope. Don't forget that pattern. Where does that end? Whereby we know an undisappointable hope. Made that word up because in the by it's in the it's in the text. An undisappointable hope communicated in the Father's love. Where is it that God is leading us? in our lives. What is it that God wants for us, wants for you, and wants for me? Well, He wants us to know a hope that cannot be disappointed. My parents will never forgive me for this, but I'm going to tell a childhood story. In the amazing childhood that I had, which was a blessing in so many ways, there was one instant that my parents will never probably ever live down, which is they forgot one day to pick me up 
at the uh, Beavers, which was like a community organization on a Tuesday night. And I was about eight or nine. And they forgot to pick me up. Now, in the 80s, when you send your kid to a kid's program in the 1980s, uh, people don't stick around to make sure everyone's been picked up, right? You just go home. There's no, like, oh, the leader stays and makes sure every kid's been picked up. No. So there I was, as like eight or nine-year-old. I'm sitting on the step of this forlorn school in the heart of a small town. The sun is setting. Darkness is descending. And uh, I've been forgotten. And, what? and I remember in that really long five minutes I had to wait, Maybe it was one minute I had to wait. Uh, I really honestly felt, you know, disappointed. Oh, man, alive, you know. Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you feel that. Does hope in God disappoint you? Are, are you waiting for God? Are you asking for something and you really don't feel or experience hope in your own life? Well, because we're justified, Paul wants us to, to know that there is a hope that is an undisappointable hope. That when we go into the trials of life and we see that there's nowhere else we can turn, that trial is stripped away from me right down to my naked, destitute soul. He wants us to see that through those trials, he wants us to see there is a hope that does not disappoint us, that when we get to the bottom of the barrel and we've exhausted every other avenue of our intellect, of our resources, of whatever it may be, that when we get to the very bottom of reality in this universe, there is a hope that is unassailable. There's a hope that's always at work. There's a hope that he invites us to truly know. Well, how is it? How is it that we're meant to know this hope? How is it that we're meant to experience this hope? And, and I think that the gospel needs to be not only understood in our brains, but also experienced in, a, in our everyday life. How is it that this hope is communicated? How do we know? Well, Paul says, look, it's, it's, it's the Father's love. It, it's a love that has been poured out by God into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom we give. God's love keeps the Christian from an empty hope. I don't want it to be trite. I don't want it to be Hollywood, that overused word. But do you know this morning the love of the Father? It's a love that we read in the Bible has been poured out. It's not been... Uh, you know, handed out in small little portions that are measurable and attainable. Uh, that's why I poured, that, maybe that's why I poured the water over these kids so much. It was lib, God's love is liberal. It's poured out liberally. It's abundant. It's poured out. Uh, there, there is an abundance of this love of God. Uh, it's the word in the Bible we see when you pour wine into wineskins. That's the same word, poured into our hearts. It's poured out, it's lavish, it's abundant. We see that it's poured into the heart, into the heart. Without getting into the, what that word means, into, just it's poured into our hearts, not over the surface of our hearts. It's not like foam on the water or like a duck in those 
video as you might skimming across the top of the water and just like just touching the top of the water. It's not like, you know, you know when the winter's coming, I, I, I get this plastic wrap and I, I, I wrap up like the barbecue with this plastic saran wrap. The neighbors have been crazy. I wrap up some flowers with this big, every, my chairs, I wrap them up with this saran wrap that I get from one of the stores. And it's a new technique I've tried. And when it rains, the water just sort of falls off, falls off. Paul's not talking about that. He's saying poured into your heart, poured into your heart. Time is it? Okay. When the trials come, when the pressures are there, when everything seems too heavy to bear or to carry, when it feels like the future is uncertain, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, dying for us, bearing our sin in His body for us, the living God in those moments and in those times we learn in the Bible wants to pour into the core of your being His love. He wants to break the jars of the sweetest perfume into your life. He wants the self-doubts, the self-loathing, the regrets, the God could not possibly cherish me now enough. He wants all that to be washed away. And he wants us to smell the fragrant incense of his love. That's why he says in the Bible, I will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. Well, how are we going to end this? Well, I can end it in a couple, I've got a couple of things I'd like to share with you to end this in our lives. Uh, end, this, end this in our lives. End this in our service. Um, maybe you're going through afflictions today. Uh, just want to encourage you to, to look in the right places for, for moving forward. Um, Look to these promises. Look to, as hard as it is, look to the fact that God is bigger and greater than wherever that pressure is. And I guess the real question is, if you call yourself a Christian today and have surrendered your life to Jesus, I guess the real heart of the question is, you know, will you, will you allow God to work in your life the way in which the Bible teaches us that He works? You know, that is... Um, will, will you, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, will you, is God asking you, is God asking us anew and afresh to yield to Him, to, to yield under the pressure that we may be facing, to yield to the pattern of our Heavenly Father? Um, and I guess secondly, How can we experience afresh? How can we know afresh? Or how, can we, how can we realize afresh this morning, truly, without it being rote or Hollywood or I've heard it a million times, that God is working all of these things and wants us to be hopeful people, that God is working all of these things in His love, 
and, and, and wants us to experience that love and to truly breathe it in every day. Like this old Puritan guy once said, heaven was in me before I was in heaven. Uh, in all the cerebral stuff we get going in church and everything, is it sunk that deep into our hearts that we can say heaven was in me before I was in heaven? I want to tell you, I don't know if I've used this story before, maybe I have, but I want to just mention this one thing as we close to hopefully, hopefully, hopefully drive this home. Um, apparently, and you can read about it, not that I have a lot, psychologists say that if, uh, if you're in a family with, uh, with a child you've adopted uh, and children that you haven't adopted, that at one point in the life of your family, maybe it's 10 years in, 12 years in, wherever it may be, the adopted kid will most likely ask, almost, almost certainly will ask at one point, hey, um, to their parents, mom and dad, do you love me as much as you love them? You know, it'll be a question that you'll get asked by an adopted kid often. Do you love me? as much as you love them. And, you know, you'll read that the advice is given that there's only one answer. Only one answer you can give to that as a parent. You know, of course I love you as much because I chose you. And if you're having a hard time experiencing the love of Christ for your life, just put yourself in that image for a minute and times any inkling of benevolence, any inkling of goodness that you may have felt in that parent's answer, of course I love you as much I chose you. And just times that by like a million <laughs> and know that that is the promise we hold on to, that God promises to be our God. I will be your God and you will be my people. Can we pray? Oh, Lord, thank you for your deep, deep love. And I pray, Father, that for all of us this morning, and especially for those who are experiencing trials that are troubling, but for all of us, would you break anew the jars of the incense of your love, we are so unworthy. We are so lost. We do not deserve any of this. But we rejoice in Jesus, who's been poured out for us, his body and his blood. And Lord, we wish to be there, centered on him. We wish to trust him, to love him, to surrender to him once more. In Jesus' name, amen.